it's good to be with you today and I just want you to know you're much in our prayers and of late for me I found God disrupting me it's a it's a kind of experience where God prepares you for what you want to say and then he speaks into you in the process then afterwards he abolishes all that and then says this is the emphasis right and that's what's happening to me all over the world I'm with 3,000 pastors and I've got my set teaching that they asked me to speak on and then the Holy Spirit says no you need to move it into this area and be faithful to what I'm showing you and I think that this we must not lose we must not lose the promptings of the Spirit uh, we do not believe in a Bible that's dead. We believe in a Bible that carries the voice of God. Therefore, we do not segment what we accept in the Bible and discard what we don't like. We accept that the Word of God, the Bible, the Holy Bible, as some people say, is the inspired Word of God. Now, that's like giving bitter herbs to somebody who only likes sweets. And many of our philosophers have infiltrated the teachings of the Word of God and turned them to suit the whims of the day that they live in. But God has been consistent from the beginning to the end, both in the book and in time, the corridors of time. He's raised a voice. He's on speaking terms with us. And in the Hebrew writings, in the, in the writings of the book of Hebrew, it makes it very clear that God in the past has spoken in different ways by the prophets but has in these last times spoken to us through our Lord Jesus Christ God's best word so that all that went before when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus he's talking to disciples and he's explaining to them the things of the scriptures both from the old into the present day that he's walking with them that these scriptures all speak of me who I am what I'm about and I'm about the father's business now I say all that because whatever we must be we must be true to God's Word we honor the presence of the Holy Spirit but we believe that God has a voice and he's able to speak to us through many channels but especially his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path and we measure everything by that word without that we cannot please God correct for his word then will be written on the flesh tables of our heart not on stone tablets will be sensitive to his voice that's what that's saying God will inscribe upon us in us in our thinking everything he'll show us what he's wanting us to see and understand in the days that we live in correct now we were singing in one of the first songs there was a line and this is what the Holy Spirit upset me with and and um, it disturbs the flow you know what I mean uh, awake the kingdom seed within us awake the kingdom seed within us 
One of my loves, people don't know this, two particular loves besides my wife, you know that, it's a different kind of love. One of my likes is gardening. And I very seldom get the chance to garden, so the kingdom of God doesn't always come to my garden quick enough. But you well know, if you do anything with gardening, that you've got to understand the seasons. If you prune the tree at the wrong time, you could kill it, correct? Or damage its ability to bear fruit in the next season. If you plant the seed in the wrong soil, it won't prosper, it won't grow, correct? So it's critical that we understand the times and the seasons. One of my favorite things I plant are these tulips. And they are, they are what could I say, they are fussy little things. Because they, they, they have so many leaves and you can't even see any sign of the tulip. And the cats in, in my area, stray cats, seem to like to dig the tulips up. I don't know why, I don't understand what that's about. But they're full of leaves right now, and would you believe it, we know it's spring, because the heads are starting to come up. But what they've gone through to get to that stage has been quite traumatic. For example, at the end of their flowering season, I pull them all up. And because I didn't have a, a garden shed, just a garage, I put them into a bag, in a dark bag, and left them to dry out, and I left them in my garage, which is quite cold. But no frost. So they're safely there, disturbed, in a bin bag, right? And then one day I walked into the garage, probably about January, and I realized that they're starting to wake up. Because I opened the bag, I th I'd forgotten what was in the bag, and I, you know, memory serves me well. So I opened the bag, and oh, look what I've got here. It's time to start planting, but it's too cold. But when I was in Holland, they took me on a very special farm that produced tulips and daffodils. And one of the pastors I was helping at the time said, I'd like you to take you to a famous place in Holland and show you how they treat the bulbs. Well, I didn't know that they treated the bulbs in any special way. But what they showed me is this whole greenhouses full of these bulbs that were lightly planted. And they were put in such a position that they had the mechanisms in place for rain, for frost, right? For sun, and for darkness. So they mimicked the seasons to help produce these bulbs out of season. So the different effects, so for example, they would say, we don't water the bulbs first. We give them a sense of moisture in the atmosphere. I said, why would you do that? Why would you want to? There's no psychology in a bulb. Why do you want to just give them the mist first? Ah, said the guy. The reason why we do it is if we just pour the water on, it will shock the bulb and it will go into reverse. But if we can mimic the seasons, we can encourage the bulb to come through to its best performance, ready for us to, to ship out. So there's a science in everything. But this verse, awake 
the kingdom seed within us. And this to me is crucial. Some of you know this full well for the years God has spoken to us about the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else can be added to us. So we don't seek this, we don't seek that, we prioritize. You can't say you have many priorities because they're no longer priorities. You can only have one priority, correct? And there must be the one thing, the main thing, must be that we seek first the kingdom of God. Let's use a word we don't like. Seek first the government of God. The boss is God. The Lord is king. We are his servants. Though we're part of the family and all the rest you know. But the point I'm making is there are times when we need to awaken. Now you might say to me, well of course when I came to Jesus my soul was awakened. Hallelujah, save again. We could dance on that one. And there might have been a time when a revelation came to you in the word of God that opened up your soul and you moved into a whole new understanding of what the Lord meant to you. Or there might be a season when suddenly the word of the Lord is quickened to you so it's no longer feeling dry when you read the Bible but it's alive and it's awakening you. I don't know what that might be. But those quickening moments must not be rooted in the past. Because every season I must uproot those bulbs, put them in the right environment and then replant them where I want them to flourish. So there's got to be this flexibility. One of the things in this respect, I'm going somewhere with this, uh, it's a bit disruptive so I'm just getting you ready for it. Um, one of the things that we relegate to the past is the word repentance. By repentance, as you know, when we came to Jesus, we were sorry about our wrongs. We turned around from our own ways and we focused in on the Lord. And he became our saviour, our forgiver, our restorer and so on. And repentance was part of our package of coming to know the Lord. Even if we didn't know what that word meant, it just simply meant turning into the right direction. Correct? And it was a key requisite for the kingdom. It was a key statement about the kingdom. John the Baptist came, the early part of the Gospels, and he preached repentance because the kingdom of God is near you. Correct? Jesus comes along and he takes that a bit further and he talks about the kingdom of God being within us. Right? So it's not out there. Holy Spirit, I'm not asking you to come down. I'm asking you to come up. Right? I'm not even asking you to come on me. I'm asking you to come through me so that you may express what you want to express through my life. But this word repentance talks to me about turnings that we have to make. If you don't learn to continue to turn, you become rigid. The rigidity steps sets in. It's more like arthritic actually. 
you lose your agility if you become fixed so that you can't turn, you can't move. Do you understand what I'm saying? And there are times when we need a reawakening. The Bible talks about it, times of refreshing that the Lord wants to bring to us. They are disturbing times. Make no mistake about it, any move of God's Spirit within us <laughs> repositions us, adjusts us, illuminates us. We see things where we've never seen them before. He shows you things at the wrong time, as far as you're concerned, right? And he puts you on the spot. Now, at this moment, that's my dilemma. Honestly, that's my dilemma. Every time I come into preaching the pulpit, I take a program on TBN, I've got a half an hour slot, I've got a fixed thing to say, the Holy Spirit wells up inside me, and I can't even get to the, everything he's told me to prepare. And the camera's rolling, and I can't stop it. And I've got to go with the flow. I've got to turn to where the Spirit emphasizes. This is important. Now I say all this because you're at a season in which God wants to turn, adjust, break open, awaken the kingdom seed. Just when you thought you're going to retire, right? You look at me as if you're nonplussed. But I tell you what, I went to America this time. And they didn't know, but in my heart, I was ready to retire. So I said to the Lord, I'm not going again, Lord. This is my last visit. No one else knew that, except Betty, of course. And Betty always insisted, my wife, when we have a prayer time, waiting on God, she will come. And so she would come in the March, and in the autumn, can't remember if it's October, November, something like that. She would come with me to the United States. Now you've got to understand, it's a long way to go. But we have friends and churches and works and relationships that go a long way back. So for me to say, I'm, they don't know this, I'm going to retire. I've set them up, a young team to get on with the job. And I'm all there ready to just politely whisper in their ear something. And I'm sitting in the meeting, and the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, Button up your mouth and say nothing. And watch and listen. So now I've got to repent. See, this is very personal. I've got to turn now and pay attention to what the Lord's going to show me. Then he started to show me things. And what he showed me was quite illuminating. These are my best friends. I've worked with them all these years. I've set in place a whole operation that would take care of itself. If I was to drop out of the plane tomorrow, it would still run on all of that stuff. But the Lord was rebuking me to listen, to watch. I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you direction. That's new direction. So I'm sitting in Chicago with all of our church leaders and then the Lord began to speak to me about this one, that one, this place, that place, what they're doing, what they shouldn't be doing 
And he's given me a whole workload that I didn't think it was... I, th I thought they got to learn their own way. And then one of the young pastors gets up and he's talking on restoring the soul, right? And this is what he says. And we need you older people to help us out a bit when we're missing it, right? They're all blow. <laughs> now he's talking to me. I'm about to give up. Settle down. I could tell you a thousand things I could do right now. Okay? But my life is his. I know we've got a choice, but I've got no choice. I'm a prisoner. I just got to tell you, I, I, I have no choice. I'd like to retire. I'd love to win the lottery, but I don't do the lottery. <laughs> but, you know, you know, that man who just got a hundred million or whatever it was, 70 million, said, I'm going to spend it all on myself. I felt sick. Give me 170 million, I'll tell you what. We'd kick into place a number of things in terms of the purposes of God, right? Don't give me money, I'll give it away. Somebody said to me, I want to bless you with something, but I'm going to write it and sign the paper that you must spend it on nothing else but what I instruct you to spend it on. Because I know you, Alan, you'll give it away. It's true. It's true. We're of the kingdom, right? The seed is in us. Now, what the Lord wants to do, you, you can love me or hate me for this, right? I'm not preaching at you, I'm talking to you. I'd love to preach, got it all here. It's all there, look, see? It's all there, it's all there, it's all in there. Scripture's everything. But the Lord wants to do something fundamental. And it's disturbing. I was in India and um, I can't remember now. There was another setting to the one I just described earlier with Joel. Joel Anisimus, great brother of God, wonderful apostle, works with maybe five, six, seven hundred churches. I don't know how many training colleges, initiatives he has across the different states in India. A man who they've tried to kill several times. Even GPs tried to poison him, leave him for dead. And he's working well for God. But we're in this gathering. And the Indians love to have the ordered teaching. Right? Session after session after session from early morning to late at night. There's definitely a revival in India. There's no question. Compare it to England. We've got nothing near it. And I'm not talking about the big shows we can put on. That anybody can put on big shows. I'm talking about a genuine hunger for God's word. It's there in India. No question. And they'll sit day and night. To teach. It's easy to teach because of where they're at in their spirit. Okay? So I'm sitting there going through all of these meetings. And this is when it all started for me. Afresh. The awakening. The Holy Spirit said, disrupt the people. How am, I going to, how am I going to disrupt the people? Well, look at them sitting all looking at you. Get them to look at each other. I said, okay, I'll do that, Lord. So I went to Joel. I said, Joel, would you mind if I obey the Lord? That's the best way to put it. Would you mind if I obey the Lord? I'd like to disrupt the people. So he switched the tape recorders off. And uh, we won't have a session this time. It's a different session. 
And this is what we must do. And I'm going to ask you to do the same. There's a reason for it. Okay, so bear with me now. It's uncomfortable. It's disruptive. You can throw me out the room later, that's fine. Let me finish what I start, okay? So what we're going to do now is get all your belongings together. We are going to... You have to empty these chairs out in the end, do you, or not? What do you do, leave them all? They stay in the same way they do? Oh, what a shame. <laughs> well, yeah, we're going to have to disrupt everything. Because we're going to put the table in the middle, right? You know this, we're going to put the table in the middle. This table. The bread, the wine, in the middle. And then we're going to sit round the table. It doesn't matter whether you're north, south, east or west. As close as you can together around this table. Okay? That's the first disruption. Then I'll explain it to you. When Jesus was teaching and calling people and awakening the kingdom in them, the Pharisees got upset. And the Pharisees began to question the way he was doing things. Remember, they're the custodians of tradition. Custodians of a revelation that they were given. And here is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, in flesh and blood. And they've got a question. And the question they have for him, why is it your disciples don't wash their hands when they take the bread. Talking about they were picking corn on the Sabbath as well and all of this stuff. Why are your disciples different even to the disciples of John and even to our disciples? Right? He was doing something different. It's okay. He's about to do something remarkable in awakening the kingdom into a whole host of ordinary people who are outside of the flock. It's very disturbing. Jesus was criticized because he was being obedient to the words of the prophets and to his Father's will. Correct? So when we say the bread and the wine, the bread and the wine, he's making this very personal. This is a critical moment. It's a moment of substantial change from the old to the new. Old covenant, are you with me? To the new covenant. This is a crucial moment in history. This is to have an impact way beyond even our days. And still have an impact on us. He is the perfect one, all-knowing, but he chooses in his humanity to get amongst us and embody for us what it is to be a captive of a vision. The vision of what his father wants. He's obediently following through. But it's a transition. Transitions are painful, right? It's a transition for this church, whether you like it or not. I was going to say lump it, but you wouldn't like me for that. But the truth is, we are going through huge transitions in our society. Some of it is absolute organized stupidity. There's no substance to some of the things that are being petered out for us. 
There are changing goalposts. And they begin with vocabulary, always with vocabulary. The trumpets of something different are words. So if we don't like certain words, we'll call good bad and bad good. That will start them off. Correct? So we alter the vocabulary. That's what's taking place in higher education, in lower education, in politics, in society, in the workplace. Everything's changing. But we're in the kingdom for such a time as this. And we must not be afraid. We must understand there's a transition going on and it's not outside of what God's going to do. God's got some bigger ideas than our people understand, those who don't know him, let alone the church. The church is not that much wiser because it's become very creative in its own ways of doing things. But it's a transition. And what God is about to do in our generation will far exceed what's proceeded before in moves of the Spirit. It will far exceed that. But somebody once said, the most dangerous moment in a transition is that disruptive moment where we've got to change. Like the trapeze. 18 years ago, I, I shared this with our leaders, the most difficult time is when you let go of one trapeze and you grab hold of the next. There are two dynamic issues here. It's, it's about repentance. It's letting go and it's taking hold of. And if you get confused in the middle, you'll splash. Splatter is the word. There's nothing left of you. You'll be hurt by the transition. Correct? This is the moment that Jesus is about to take us in a huge transition for himself. For the body of Christ. For the future generations. And what he's doing is so profound, it's going to be etched in our memories. It's going to be something that the Lord is going to tell us to rehearse time and time again to remind us there's nothing static in the kingdom. That doesn't make you insecure. It makes you more eternally dependent. Say that phrase, eternally dependent. You've never ever been told you can make it on your own. Same for me. I cannot, I promise you, for one moment, I cannot preach without God's help. Honestly, I cannot. If left to myself, I'm shy. That's the honest truth. You don't know that about me? Oh, Alan's not Left to myself, I'll sit on the back row. Left to myself, I'll prefer somebody else. Left to myself. But I'm a captive. But the church is going through a transition I don't like. I don't like what our generation's going through. I'm sick and tired of the lies that are perpetrated as truth. And the church is seduced by them because it wants to be popular and happy with society. In the world you shall have persecution, tribulation. But don't be discouraged, be encouraged. That's how it's been for me. So now he's in this major transition and it's going to produce a, a powerful, breakout of the kingdom the awakening of the seed of the kingdom the season is right but the in between before I get to the covenant 
That's where this church is at. I'll say it another way. Wineskins. The wine is precious. You are precious. I am precious. Every one of us are precious to the Lord. We've been bought with a price. Right? It's not been silver and gold because that can be stolen. But with the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And whether you like it or lump it, we're kingdom through and through. We're not just church, we are family. We're not just family, we are community. We're not just community, we're salt, we're light, we're leaven. And if we lose our saltiness, and we lose our leaven power, we'll have no influence in the world. But as little as we are, we have a powerful impact on people's lives. For the better, I trust. Now, for this church, it's time for some new wineskins. It's time to believe God, right? It's not about age, by the way. Nothing to do with age, right? You know what the prophet said? You bury me, I'll still, I'll still jump up through the grave when you stand on it. Right? In other words, that spirit in me is eternal. Okay? Now, there's a kingdom dimension. You've got to seek God to know what to let go of and to know what to take hold of, right? It won't be the same. It'll be different. Let me show you this. People think we bought the building of New Life Church with Global Horizons money. They're actually deluded. We didn't. Didn't take a penny off Global Horizons. Right, Keith? Are you there? We didn't take a penny off Global Horizons. One day, the Lord said to me, I need you to buy a building. And I said to the Lord, this is the honest truth. Before God, I tell you the truth. I said to the Lord, Lord, we're too small. We can't afford it. And what's more, Lord, this is what I said, what's more, Lord, I know you said you can build a church in a day, but we've been working here for four years now and we're no more than 35 people. That's what I said to the Lord. And as I said it, the truth is, the minute I said it, I felt the cringe factor. The Holy Spirit began to come closer to me and speak deeply into me and say, it's not about your numbers. And this is what he said. I don't know if I've ever told you this, this is what he said. I could build the church in a day, but you could not handle it. That's what he said. So, right? Suddenly I realize he's been worried about me. Forgive the word worried. He's been troubled about me. If, if he was to give me the influx, I think the outflow would be as big as the inflow. Because I don't think we've got the wineskin to catch it. Something's got to change. So I went to the trustees and I said to the trustees, the Lord has told me we've got to look for a building because she's going to give us one and we've got to buy it. Right? So they laughed. They said, Alan, we've only got that. I said, I know all that. I've told the Lord all that. I said, all I ask you to do is go and look for a building. Don't even talk about what we have or don't have. Go and look for a building. And that's what we did. 
And then one of the guys found this building called Temple Buildings. Well, that's a nice name. I crossover between the Jew and the Gentile, you know, the temple. And we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? And all that stuff. So, nice building. But it was too much money. <coughs> it, was, it probably was maybe at least 300,000 more than we had. Probably in the red to 5,000. Certain times of the year, the church tended to go into the red and then back out again, depending on whether it was Christmas or Easter or summer holidays. Right? Small church. Well, we found the building, and it was then, I think, 300,000 pounds, I think. I can't remember the figure. I think it was 300,000 pounds, which is cheap, right? But it's not cheap when you've got nothing. Correct? So we said, okay. Let's tell the church, we're going for a facility. Now, I'm not leading you to say I'm going for a facility and you're going for a I'm not saying that. I'm saying the obedience to the Lord. A new season. This is the most difficult moment. When you're now going to let go of what's been to grab hold of what is to be. And you're in the transition. You are the transition. He is the transition. Right? For our salvation. So what happens? Sorry about that. Microphone, sorry. About that. What happens? Right? We said we're going to take up an offering. We took up an offering. I don't, to this day, I have no idea because when I look at the records, no one person was a culprit. Something happened to the people. We took up this offering, and in one offering, don't ask me how to explain this. I do know one person came into the church for one meeting to give an offering. I think it was an angel, I don't know. Never seen that angel since, right? Come and went, but put 10,000 pounds in the offering. By the time we finished, we had the exact amount of money to purchase the building. We didn't have anything to do it up. There was a huge bank vault to move and all this stuff. But it was the Lord's kiss. Just to kiss us. Say, I'm with you. I can do what you can't do. But you have to prepare yourself to let go in order to embrace. The wineskin is not about how old it is. It's whether it's relevant for the next stage of what God wants to do. You hear me? So now I come to you as a church. God wants to disrupt you. We're going to break. We're going to pour out. We're going to drink of. Right? Awaken the kingdom seed in us. You are more powerful than you believe. You have more potential than you're willing to engage. You can become st stunted by staying in the bin bag. You can interpret that any way you like. That's not, you've got to get out of the bin bag and be planted where God wants for the next season. Right. I actually like this facility. I miss the coffee shop, but you know, the coffee's nice over there. But the disruption is what gets in the way of the progress. 
You know when you get on a train and they suddenly tell you they've got a problem with the engine and you've got to be at a very important meeting and halfway up the railway line in the middle of nowhere and say, all change please. I hate that sound. I really hate that. I can't get to my destination, all change. But it's important that we prepare ourselves personally as well as corporately. Lord, what is it you require of me for this next season? Right? I'll, I'll illustrate this one, one other illustration. I don't, I've forgotten what time it is, but just before we break the bread. Some of our folk were getting tired. And so they decided to have a month off. And they disappeared. I rang them and said, are you okay? Yeah, we're doing fine, Alan. Everything's fine. We're just having a month off. Said, oh, right. Pray for them. Right, having a month off. The Lord sent new people to the church. And they became a vibrant part of the church. At least a dozen all came at once. I may have ever, ever given this illustration, I don't know. But he sent me 12 people. He showed me he would send me 12 people. That morning I turned up to find that the first 12 people that came through the door were these strangers. Right? And they became part of the church. So a month later, these people came back to the church and were offended. They're in the church now with us. It's so funny. They were offended. What were you offended at? We don't know these people who welcomed us at our church. In other words, while you've been away on a holiday for a month, the people greeting you at the door are more involved than you are now. Because they've really been awakened in their soul. Do you see what I'm saying? So the point I'm making is this. It's time. Was that, was that the time to finish? Was that <laughs> <laughs> David has been somewhere else today. He's bringing up to see if we finished. Yeah, tell him we're making the appeal. Tell him to get here quick, we're making the appeal. No, seriously though. Seriously, seriously though. Seriously. I am not messing about. Seriously. I don't know why you chose that song. I have no idea. You are the culprit. Right? Yes. And in that verse, you've got to go back and find it. I don't even know which one it was. It's the second one, I think. Oh, right. There you go. I didn't know that. Right? All I just knew, the words just hurt me. Hit me in the face, smacked me. And the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, you've got to, you've got to address this issue. Listen to me. Please listen to me. Don't be blinded by your own staunch position of what you think is the way it should be. Say, Lord, I surrender. Whatever you've got for me. I've still got my slippers, by the way. They're there. Every time I walk in the house, I see them. To remind me that one day I'll retire. <laughs> so I think when they, when, they, when they put me in the coffin, I'll ask them to put the slippers on then. Because I'd like to be planted, not burned. That's me. I'd like to be planted like a prophetic statement. A tree in the ground, okay? Nevertheless, I'm serious. God wants to do something profoundly new. There are four churches in existence today in Chicago because God spoke to us like this. Mm -hmm. 
We got the maps out, not the Bible, the maps. And we began to say, Lord, what are you showing us? And he began to show us this place, this place, this place. And now today, they are thriving churches. You'd never believe it. But for the grace of God, right? From one church came three more churches, and now God's talking to us about another church for them to plant. So all I'm saying is that each of us ask some questions about our commitment, our priority to the King and what he's done for us. God, you didn't ask for my money. You asked for my heart. That is something I didn't realize. The Lord, forgive me saying this, the prophet said it once, you deceived me, Lord. You didn't ask for my money. You asked for my heart. Because once you've got my heart, you've got everything. And I woke up to that a long time later. But I'm glad I'm a prisoner to a vision. I cannot compromise that vision. So when we take of the bread, this is hospitality. This is God saying, you shall want for nothing. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. You shall lack no good thing. For even when you get it wrong, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your shortcomings. Right? Who is your accuser? Who's the one that's trying to keep you small? Who's the one who's trying to keep you back from where you should be? It's Christ who died and is risen again. So the table is his provision. I just want you to know, please hear me. Let it be the miracle of his provision. It is nothing to do with what the prophet said. It's nothing to do with Alan Scotland. It's nothing to do with whatever you might be planning. It's to do with his provision. He will provide for you all that you need. All he asks of you is to let go of one trapeze to take hold of the next. And don't get caught in the middle without being in a firm grip for the kingdom, right? Hospitality. This is generosity. I don't give you just myself, so my, my, my wealth, I give you myself. This is my body, which is broken for you. I never ask of you more than I am willing to give of myself. That's what the Lord's saying. So when we take of the bread, let's be reminded how real this is. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. There's a spirit, an evil spirit, behind that which wants to annihilate God. Destroy your faith. Weaken your grip on the tiller, as it were, of the kingdom. There's a spirit behind that, but we're of another spirit, right? We've received of the Spirit of God, sealing it in our hearts. But are you all right with the disruption? If it means we find the feast, 
and none of us are outside of it. We can all reach the table. I'm going to ask us now then, I'm going to put the microphone down, just to take a moment of reflection, and then I'm going to take the bread and the wine, and we're going to pass it round, and fellowship with one another. I'll break the loaf open, but would you take the moment just to uh, even put everything aside, and take some bread and break bread with somebody. Would you do that? And then come and take of the wine. I'll pour the wine out. But Father, we thank you for all that you committed on our behalf. Jesus, for being such a faithful example in the pouring out of your life. This is my body, you said, which is broken for us. Lord, we thank you for this powerful statement of your commitment to our well-being and the destiny of mankind. And for the blood, Lord, we don't accept any accusation. No way, Jose, we will not accept any condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You poured out, you didn't sprinkle it, you poured it out. Such generosity. Help us as a church to enter into this dynamic of your kingdom. There's no telling where we'll be in 12 months time with your provision if we commit our hands to the trapeze. In Jesus' name, amen. The same night he was betrayed, powerful statement but all hell was bent on destroying him he said no one takes my life I give it I lay down my life this is my body which is broken for you take and eat it all then he also took the cup he said it's a new covenant it's a promise to you faithful promise God is not a liar he's true it's poured out for you. Who is your accuser? Christ died. Amen. We give you thanks, Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, for making it real to us. Pray for this church, your body, your people, that you will give them the courage to pursue the kingdom in the days that lie ahead, young and old alike, new and old, we ask you to favor us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you can reach into the table and take some bread and pass it to people in different rows, that would be great. And we'll share bread together. And I'll hand over to you, Ricky, for how you want to close our time, or whoever. Are you all right, everybody? Thank mm -hmm. you.